want to give you a simple thought today, but one that I think is so vital for us to know. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. Let's read these verses in unison. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. The Word of God says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Father, help us with the time that we have now. Give me the words to say to convey this vital truth, and so we can know a little bit more about who we are through Christ. Pray you'd save those that need saving, encourage those that that need encouragement, and help us all to know that we belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We're doing our new series, a fall series, called The New You, Your Identity in Christ. And so today I just want to give you a quick thought about who you are in Christ. You know, we often think things about ourselves, we think lies about ourselves, we sometimes internalize the horrible things people say about us over the years. And if you're not careful, you'll begin to think that you're not worth very much and nobody wants you and why even here and all this kind of craziness. But we're showing you from the scriptures that once you are born again, and once you become a follower of Jesus Christ and a child of God, that your identity changes. You're not who you used to be. And God doesn't look at you the same way that you often look at yourself. God doesn't think about you the same way you often think about yourself. And so we're learning these traits. We've learned that we're valuable. Uh, We've learned that we're children of God. Uh, and some other things, but today I want to talk about this idea, you belong to God. Think about that. You belong to God. Have you ever wondered where you belong? Have you ever wondered where you belong? Have you ever been lonely wishing there was a special place just for you? Someone that accepted you, that loved you? that claimed you, that said, oh, he belongs to me. He belongs to me. Isn't it nice when you have a friend that says, oh, that's my friend? When you have a a loved one that says, no, that's my family. It feels good to belong. The need to belong is a basic human desire. We must know our place in this world. We must know where we fit in and how we fit in. And if we don't feel like that, it's a constant stress. Uh, Where do I belong, the world asks. I've seen people do crazy things in trying to belong. I served the Lord for seven years in Chicago working with families. Most of them were were, uh, Central American, Latin American families, some some, uh, Caribbean families. Most of them spoke Spanish. But you know, regardless of where you go in the world and what language you speak, humans have the same basic needs. Have you figured that out? Everybody needs to be loved. Everybody needs to fit in. Everybody has to have a place. When the family breaks down, marriages fail, parents don't pay much attention to their kids, 
the structure of the community begins to break down. I saw countless young people begin to ask the question, where do I fit in? Where do I belong? And there was a group that was always there ready to claim the young people, and it was the gangs. You ever wonder why gangs are so powerful? Why would someone give up their future to join a gang? Why would someone commit criminal acts to join a gang? It's a very simple answer, as sad as it is simple, because the gangs provide people a place to belong. And even if they go to jail, in the jail, they're still part of that gang. Even if they have to kill somebody or get killed, they will at least die knowing where they belong. These young men and women would take part in crazy initiation rituals. Often to join a gang, the young men would have to get beat, beat up terribly. They would get in the middle of a, of a ring and the gang members would get around them and they would just begin pummeling them and beating them and punching them. They'd get down on the ground and kick them and stomp them. And after a while, they were just kind of a bloody mess. But now they were part of the gang. You say, who in their right mind would do that? Oh, the need to belong is very powerful. Ladies would often have to give their bodies away to men who didn't care about them over and over and over. And now they could be a part of the gang. Sometimes initiation rituals would be to just run up to a stranger walking down the street and punch them in the face or stab them in the back, and now you could be a part of the gang. For some gangs, maybe you had to carjack somebody or rob a store, and now you could be a member of the gang. You say, that's, those things really happened every single day. Kind of sad, isn't it? The people would go to such lengths just to have a place to say, I belong. But you know, a lot of people do that today. They'll go to crazy lengths just to find a place they belong. They'll cheat on their spouse just to find a place they belong. They'll run away from their parents just to find a place where they feel like they belong. They'll do drugs and start drinking alcohol just to find a group of people that will accept them. They'll take up crazy philosophies and begin to even change their entire identity so they can have a place to belong. I'm just trying to remind you this morning that the, the idea that you need somewhere to belong is an innate, it's a God-given desire, but if you're not careful, it becomes a lever that the devil can use to manipulate you to do things that are not good, not healthy, and sometimes downright evil or wrong. Satan can use our natural desire to belong to manipulate us into foolish beliefs and actions. You know all the identity politics today is really about finding a place to belong? People know that, that our need to be a part of a group is so strong that they will actually use group identity to manipulate people? Think about all the groups today based on color. I'm white, you're black, he's brown, she's this, she's that. 
You know, where I, when I grew up, we acknowledged each other's differences, but more importantly, we were all humans. You know, regardless of the color of the skin, we all bleed red. We all have the same needs and desires. Cultures are different, but that doesn't make us any better or worse than anybody else. No one is good or bad based on the color of their skin. We see groups based on gender. I'm a man, you're a woman, I'm both, I'm neither. All a desire to fit in. Groups based on sex. Groups groups based on money. Groups based on location. I think we fought a whole war over that. I'm from the north, I'm from the south. I'm an American. I'm just glad to be here. Groups based on culture. Groups based on politics. If you're not careful, someone will try to shove you into a group and then use that group to try to control you. And we all have such a natural desire to be a part of something that matters, something that's real, a part of a group, that if we're not careful, we can be controlled. Let me make this statement. I want you to, to remember it. Who you belong to is more important than what you belong to. Who you belong to is more important than what you belong to. You know, every child belongs to their parents. And if you have a good relationship with your parents, that brings you comfort. My kids have a place. They belong to me. You know that every parent belongs to their children? I belong to my kids. We're family. And that matters, doesn't it? The older I get, the more important I realize family is. And yet when the family breaks down, all these other groups become more needful as we're looking for a place to belong. You know, just belong in your family. Every spouse belongs to their spouse. That's what the Bible says. I'm glad that my wife belongs to me, and I'm glad that I belong to my wife. And if we protect that, who you belong to is more important than what you belong to. But there's one person that you can belong to that fulfills all of our cravings to belong. And that is when you belong to God. Do you know that if you're born again today, that according to the Bible, you belong to God? He claims you. He accepts you. He wants you. He loves you. He says, you are mine. Now, to the rebel, that sounds awful bad. If you don't love God and you don't want to do what God wants you to do, boy, it's not very good to belong to somebody. But you know, if you love God, and you realize what a privilege it is to belong to Him, when God says, you belong to me, it brings you an amazing amount of comfort. I belong to God. You don't belong to the government. You belong to God. And that brings comfort. And when we realize we belong to God, that fulfills all of our cravings. Let me give you a few thoughts today, and we'll go to the house. Number one, believers are God's possession. Believers are God's possession. If there's been a time in your life when you said, I understand that I'm a sinner, I understand I need a Savior, 
I understand that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into this world to die on the cross for my sins. On the cross, Jesus Christ died to pay for my sins. He was buried and rose again. If you understand that, and there's been a time in your life when you say, I need a Savior, I'm trusting Jesus Christ as my Savior to forgive me of all my sins. The Bible says in a moment, all your sins are forgiven. Your, your sin is paid for on the cross. The righteousness of Christ is placed upon your account. And when God looks at you, He looks at you as His child. Isn't that good news? So if you're a believer in Christ, you are God's possession. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? I love the construction of this verse because there's a surprise here. God knew that some people didn't know that they belonged to Him who believed in Him, but there's still a surprise there. What? Don't you know? Don't you know that once you get saved, you belong to God? That once Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and you accept His payment for your sin, that you belong to God? And here in the context, it's about fornication. Verse 18 says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. We live in a sex-crazed world, and everything's about sex this and sex that, and, and every TV show and songs and commercials and all this kind of stuff. It's all this kind of stuff, and, and the world knows that nudity sells and immorality sells. And the Bible tells us very clearly here, Christians should have no part with the immorality of this world. Physically, mentally, we should strive to keep ourselves clean. We should flee fornication. That's what the Bible says. But then he goes on to say why we should. Because you belong to God. And God says, since you belong to me, you're holy. Don't take what belongs to me and use it for those terrible ends. We were just in the country. And uh, cornfields everywhere. You got to drive an hour and a half south of Indianapolis to get where we go. And there's just cornfields in a town and cornfields in a little town. And we drove past a hog farm. Let me tell you something. I've smelled a lot of hog farms in my day. But there was some, some uh, bad voodoo going on in this place, dear friend. I mean, there was some, I don't know if it was a, a research facility or uh, where they're making chemical weapons or what. But I'm telling you, it's some of the nastiest stuff I've ever smelled in my entire life. The inside of my nose hurts telling you about it. I mean, it was like my brother and I are driving. We're like, woo, you know, the closer you got, the eyes started to get a little watery. It's like, and people live in that neighborhood. You know, they live right there. So I'm just trying to put you in the, the picture, right? We're, we're out in the country, cornfields, cows, hog farms, turkey farms. Every once in a while, there'll be a little town of a thousand or 300 or 5,000 as you drive along. Now, these cornfields, it's harvest time. So in some of the cornfields, they're six feet, seven feet tall of brown corn. It's getting ready to get harvested. But some of those fields have just been harvested. <coughs> Let me tell you, rednecks don't have a lot to do in the country. So if you own a truck about this time of year, there is an ungodly temptation just to take your truck and drive it off into some cornfield and go what we call mudding. Anybody ever been mudding? That's right. You just drive out in there and just the mud flies and you hope you don't get stuck, but you know you probably will. And uh, we're driving through this place and surrounded by cornfields. And I told my brother, he's driving. We had this rental car and I'm like, 
all of a sudden I just want to drive out in the middle of that cornfield. It's, it's getting a hold of me, you know? And, and he's like, well, you we better not do that with the rental car. But he's like, I know what you mean. And uh, <clears throat> you, just, you just go mud. Now, if you wanted to take your car and drive it off in the middle of a cornfield and get it stuck, or you want to take your truck and drive it, then that's your business. That's between you and the guy who owns the field, amen? And you just hope that you get your truck out before the guy that owns the field figures out that, that it was you that made all those ruts in there. Confessing my sin to you. But if you took my minivan and drove it out into a muddy cornfield and got it stuck, we'd probably have a problem. If you took my BMW, I don't have a BMW, but let me dream, right? If, if you took somebody's BMW or somebody's Bentley and drove it out in the middle of a cornfield, that might be a problem. This is what God, it'd be like, well, you did what? You did what with my car? This is kind of the exclamation that we find here. Uh, they're talking about Christians being involved in fornication, all uncleanness, and God's like, what? What are you doing? You don't own that. You don't own you anymore. I bought you. You belong to me. It'd be like the same with a, a spouse telling their spouse, you know, you find out that a spouse is thinking about cheating on you. You'd be like, you're thinking about what? You belong to me. We made vows. A child's thinking about running away. What? I birthed you. I had you. Why would you want to? This is kind of God's exclamation that don't you understand that you belong to me? And when you belong to me, that comes with privileges, but it also comes with responsibilities. He goes on to say that the Holy Spirit is our seal of salvation. And a seal, one of its purposes is to demonstrate ownership. Just like you would write your initials on your property that, uh, that lets people know it's yours. The indwelling Holy Spirit is God's initials on our soul, letting, letting everybody know, including the devil himself, that, hey, they belong to me. That's my property. I, I purchased them. I claim them. They belong to me. We belong to God, and we are not our own. Look at verse 20. Why are we not our own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are whose? God's. And let me remind you, friend, the, devil, the, the, the rebel's not going to like this. If you're sitting here today and you say, I, nobody owns me. I, I know God doesn't own me. It's my, it's my life. It's my body. I can do what I want with it. It's my... Then you fundamentally misunderstand your salvation. Because if it was yours, it would take you straight to hell. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just meaning in a factual way. Without salvation, you and yours would end up in a place of eternal fire. But God said, I'm going to deliver you from that. I'm going to pay your price. But that means that now I'm going to claim you. And you belong to me. I see a rebel would say, oh, that's, that's a terrible, I don't want to belong to anybody, I'm a slave. But someone who understands said, God, thank you so much, I'm so glad I have a place to belong. I'm so glad I have a God who claims me as his own, and wants me to be his. It never makes me mad when my wife looks at me with those big green eyes and says, hey, big guy, you're my husband. I'm never like, what are you talking about? I'm my own man. No, I look back at her and say, you know that's right. No, so, something like that. You see, it all depends on your perspective. 
And whenever you get to the place where you realize, I belong to God, it gives me a place to belong. All these other groups, while they may have their place, I don't need to be to be uh, horned into some group to feel like I belong. I don't need to, to have my levers pulled and buttons pushed to be manipulated. So don't you know you're this or don't you know you're that? Hey, I belong to God. And that makes me happy and gives me comfort. Makes me feel good. That God would claim me. He says, even our body and our spirit are God's. What did the purchase cost? Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. You say, well, how, how could God... How could God say I belong to him? Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. What did it cost God to purchase me and to purchase you? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, Received by tradition of your father. So you weren't, your salvation couldn't be purchased by tradition. It couldn't be purchased by silver, gold, money, works. Look at verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. What did my salvation cost? It cost the very blood of Christ. The very Son of God who left his throne in heaven. He left his throne to be born in a manger. The creator became part of his creation. The son of God was wrapped in perfect flesh to become the son of man. So as a man, he could die on the cross for every man, woman, and child who would ever live. He paid our penalty. It couldn't have come at a higher cost. And he says, I paid a lot for you. and You belong to me. I love you, and I'm going to take care of you forever. We find, number one, believers are God's possession. Number two, believers are God's people. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. They are a chosen generation of royal priesthood. Did you know you were chosen? We're going to get to that eventually. God chose you. Did you know you're royalty? Did you know that as a child of God, you're royalty? You didn't know you were looking at a prince, did you? And I'm looking at princes and princesses. You are royalty. What benefits we've been given. Look at verse 9. But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, a special people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his Marvelous light. Look at verse 10. Which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had obtained mercy, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. God looks at you and he says, you're my people. He says, number one, you're my possession. I claim you. I bought you. You're mine. But he says, number two, you're my people. You're my family. You're my group. I want you with me. Isn't that a blessing? Let me say lastly, we are God's prize. Believers are God's prize. There's beautiful verses in Matthew chapter, excuse me, Malachi chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Let me just read it to you, and I want you to pay special attention to the word jewels in this, these verses. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. 
And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. What does that mean? Every time you think on God, God writes that down and says, oh, he's thinking about me again. Oh, she's thinking about me again. Isn't that sweet how God, it matters to God whether you think about him or not. It matters to God whether you speak to one another. You know, when you tell your spouse, you tell your children, you tell your friends, your family, your coworkers, when you talk about the Lord, God writes that down and says, oh, she's talking about me again. Oh, he's talking about me again. God loves that. But then notice the next verse, and they shall be mine. Who's they? Those that fear the Lord, those that talk about him. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels. And I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Who are the jewels? Those that fear the Lord. Those that talk about his name. God looks at you like a special prize. Imagine if you had jewels in your safe. You pull them out in rubies and diamonds and worth beyond measure. And you pull those out and they say, wow, this is, this is special to me. God takes those of us who love him and think about him and talk about him. And he says, you're my jewels. You're special to me. And then I want to show you a final verse here, Revelation chapter 21. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 21, we learn about heaven. The purpose of the gospel plan is found in the precious words of Revelation 21, 3. He says in verse 3, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle or dwelling place of God is with men. And He, that's God, will dwell with them, that's us. And they shall be His people. And God Himself shall be with them and be their God. See folks, when God looks at you, you're, you're His possession, you belong to Him. And when God looks at you, you're his people. He says, I claim you, you're mine. We belong to the same group. But then he says, you're not just my people, you're my prize. All these days when I make up my jewels, you are my jewels. You're my precious things. God doesn't value money. He doesn't value property. He made all that. What he values is you. And then he says, and I see the Lord talking about heaven. He's telling John, about the new city in this verse, and the angels are talking about heaven. And I feel like God here is just saying, John, you want to know what the, one of the best parts about heaven is? I'm going to be their God, and they're going to be my people. And I'm going to live here forever, and they're going to live with me, and we get to spend eternity together forever because these people are so special to me. Oh, I hope you realize today in this short message how special you are to God. That you belong to Him. And that should give a great source of comfort. The God of heaven claims me. And He claims you. And He looks forward to spending eternity with us one day. Isn't that a blessing? If you're here today and you're not sure you're going to heaven, then these promises don't apply to you, but they certainly could. 
You could put your faith in Christ today, get your sins forgiven, know for sure you're going to heaven, and you could be God's possession, God's people, God's prize. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, thank you for the truth we've heard today. I ask that you would give us insight into your word, give us wisdom. Lord, if there's one here today that's not sure they're going to heaven, may today be the day where they get that settled. And then, Lord, for those who know that we've trusted you, that you've forgiven us according to your word, Lord, help us to realize we belong to you. And may that make us feel very